0: Hello, my very good friends, and welcome to another episode of Time Between Times Storytelling, with me, Owen Staten. The wheel of the year turns quickly. The descent into darkness gathers pace. The winter is upon us. The nights are long, the days are short. But this is a time we love. This is the true time of stories. This is the time when the time between times is long and the veil between our world and the fairy world is there for an age. We can look into their realm and see them going about their business. Their stories, their tasks, their quests, everything is there for us to see. And they step into our world, wandering amongst the shadows, seen in the forests, dancing on the mountain tops. This truly is the time between times. Today, my friends, I have something for you that is both dark, dismal, dreary, but fantastic in aspect. Today is a true ghost story. Today is a story to send a shiver down your spine. It is dark. There is a lot going on. And if you're of a nervous disposition, maybe now is not the time to listen. Or maybe turn the lights on. Or listen with friends. For this is a true Halloween story. And one which I'll tell you today. One of my favourite stories. So sit back, close your eyes, clear your mind of all your worries, all your cares, and just be in the moment. Be in the time between times. The time when it's neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey. The time when the veil between our world and the fairy world is at its thinnest. Far away, we can hear the howl of wolves, We can hear the growl of bears. But we know as we sit in the fire pit at the heart of the forest with friends that we are safe. We look into the sky and we see both the moon and the sun. The clouds part and we are filled with an unearthly light which glowers on us. And we know that now is the time for the story to begin. Long ago and far away, in the north of Wales, there is a small town called Marvard. Lonely Marvard stands amongst the trees, amongst the mountains, just a few houses and inn, and a great house on the hill. If you walk the winding roads of Marvard today, you will notice that many of the houses in their windows display a crucifix. You would not think this odd, but it's not one or five, but maybe fifty, maybe a hundred houses, and all the ones that lead on the main street past the inn, up to the great house of Roft Hall. A rough hall stands upon the hill like a broken tooth, ragged and wrecked. It has stood there for centuries. A black stone house shadowed against an ill-gotten sky. And in this place long ago there lived the Blackburn family. Edward and Margaret Blackburn. Two people who could not be more different. But were together in marriage, like many were in this time. Margaret's family had owned the house for centuries, whereas Edward had married her when he was young. She was kind. She would walk amongst the people of Marvel, giving alms to the poor. Every year they would hold a great party where everyone would come to the house and under the tapestries and the great taxidermied heads they would party away the night next to the fireplace, knowing that their lords had kindness upon them. But Edward was black-hearted. He'd never offer kindness. He would shout and glare at the villagers. He was unkind to Margaret. And he just waited, waited until the moment came for him to gather all of Hall to himself. For he had come from a poor family. From far away he had travelled. He had lucked out in marriage. And here he was with his wife. And what few people knew, and even fewer suspected, that down in the village he had a mistress. She was the miller's daughter, and her name was Elspeth Thorne. Beautiful, but wicked. She and Edmund would go into the forest and meet for sordid nights of love and passion before he would return to his bed and his wife, saying he had been hunting or visiting with friends. This went on for many months, some say even years, but one day, on a dark night, as the moon was shining and they gathered at the heart of the forest, Elspeth turned to Edward and said, My love, I have good news. I am, I am with child. He stepped back and gasped. But also know this, that it is your child. And if you do not marry me, or look after me, I will make sure that everyone in the village knows it, and you will lose everything. The hall, the lordship of the town, your wife, everything. I give you two days, and two days alone. With that, she turned from Edward and walked away. He could see her shadow making its way down the forest's paths as he sat on a cold stone, his cold heart beating in his chest. A thought manifested itself in his head. He called his horse and rode the clip-clopping way back to Roft Hall. He entered the village walking from house to house, slowly, steadfastly looking ahead. The villagers would come out their doors and doff their caps at the lord of the manor. But on this night, he offered no response. He rode his horse up the track to the great hall at Roft. He tied it in the stables and walked through the great oak doors. Far away the church bells rang midnight, the peal of thunder was heard he made his way up the creaking wooden steps passing the portraits of the ancestors of his wife knowing that maybe just maybe he would not be one of them in the future he reached the bedroom door stepped inside took off his coat and his boots his wife was already in bed climbed into the cold half of the bed, turned around and kissed her on the head. Margaret, tomorrow, if the sun shines, we will go to the forest for a picnic. She turned to him. A picnic? But surely the winter is dro- My love, the winter is coming and the skies grow dark, but- "'I must take this last opportunity to dine with you under the sun, "'however brief it may be. "'When you rise tomorrow, get your riding boots and your coat, "'and join me with your horse, and we shall ride into the forest.' "'Margaret sat up, excited that this man, often distant, "'had chosen to spend some time with her. "'They spent the night in silence.' And sure enough, the next day they went out into the forest, both horses making their way down the road. The people gathered again outside and cheered. Margaret smiled and waved at them, while sullen Edward just looked to the woods. Once under the dark boughs of the trees, they made their way to a clearing at the heart of the forest, and there Edward spread out a blanket, brought food and drink, and they sat there and ate in silence. At the end he turned to her and said, My love, I know I am not always the best of company. I know that sometimes I can be a little distant, but know that I have always loved you, and on this day I, I would almost like to renew our vows here, under the great oak at the heart of the forest. Come, hold me tight, my love. Margaret placed a glass of tea on the ground and knelt forward to hug him. In a great couch they held before he started to back off and she noticed a change in his eyes. Under his coat his hand had gone and he pulled out a small dagger Thrusting it forward under Margaret's ribs, he twisted it and turned it, her face suddenly becoming ashen grey. She opened her mouth to cry out, but nothing came. The last words she uttered under great strain were, Why? Why, my love? Before she died in Edward's arms, her blood staining his white shirt, He moved to the great oak and using his bare hands on the soft earth underneath he dug a hole as deep as he could and placed his wife's body in there before taking both horses and riding back to Roft Hall. Leading Margaret's horse as he went. The people looked as he walked past wondering where she was. He turned to the great house, closed the doors and was not seen for a week. On the seventh day Posters started to appear on all the street corners, saying that Margaret Blackburn had left the town and would not return. But the following week in the church in the centre of the village, Edward Blackburn would marry Elspeth Thorne, and everyone was invited. The villagers talked and chatted and gossiped, Many of them suspected what had happened, but knew that they had to attend the wedding. And seven days later, Edward and Elspeth were married in the church hall to a silent congregation. Nobody challenged it. Nobody spoke up. And at the end of it, everyone accepted the drink and festivities that were given by Elspeth and Edward who returned to the house, making their way up the rickety stairs to spend their first night together as husband and wife. As this deed was being done far away in the forest, something else happened. The earth around the old oak started to scratch and move. and Suddenly, a hand emerged from the ground. Then slowly pulling herself from her shallow grave came Margaret Blackburn. Her skin as pale as the moon, her eyes as deep as a pit, her dark hair now black and filled with earth, her sallow face haunted and helpless. She staggered through the forest, from one side to the other, this spirit, this spectre, this ghost glided into the village of Marwood. At every house that did not question her husband's wedding, she glided up to the glass window, peered in and tapped on the glass. The villagers were terrified they would look round to see this horrendous, horrific aspect of someone they knew now looking at them from beyond the grave. If someone would rush forward or rush outside, the ghost would vanish. But as the night went on, all the villagers' houses received a visit from this apparition, staring at them through the glass. Finally she reached the edge of town and made her way up the pathway to Roft Hall. The moon was now shining, but the spirit was brighter as she walked straight through the door of the hall and glided up the stairs to the great bedroom where Elspeth and Edward now slept. Through the door she went. And what happened next, none can tell. But the next morning, Elspeth Thorne and Edward Blackburn were both found dead. Their hair standing on end and as white as a sheet. Their face as pale as the sand on the beach. They were dead in a Terrible aspect, terrified, their hearts had stopped beating. And from that night on, the ghost of Margaret Blackburn would wander the streets of Marvord. She became known as Lady Blackbird. And after many weeks, many months, a minister was brought in to perform an exorcism and he advised every house to place a cross in its window. Most did, and those who didn't still continued to receive a visit from the glaring, gliding spectre. Eventually all houses put their symbol in the glass, and now she seemed to vanish her vengeance done. But it is said, there are nights like tonight, at the time between times, the time it's neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey. The spirit of Lady Blackbird still walks the dreary paths of Marvord, glaring through windows, making her way to Roft Hall, where she had vengeance upon her terrible husband. And that, my friends, is the grim tale of Lady Blackbird, a tale that I tell to you at the time between times. I hope you didn't get too scared. There's nothing like an old ghost story at Halloween, is there not? Please let me know what you think. I will place my email in the notes below. It's owenstayton at aol.com. I value and reply to all feedback that I get. If you wish to follow me on Twitter, it's at Owens Griffiths. I also have a YouTube channel, Time Between Times Storytelling, where perhaps the most frightening part is you have to look at my face. I have another podcast as well, which I co-host with my good friend, a Briggs Miller. It's called Spectre of the Sea. If you like ghost stories, an audio drama and something a little bit different please check that out if you're feeling really generous this Halloween this trick or treat why not visit my Ko-fi page ko-fi.com forward slash Owen Staten and buy me a coffee I'd really appreciate it or join my Patreon channel patreon.com forward slash Owen 7 but if you can't do any of these things please just say something nice leave a review or maybe say something on facebook or twitter about how much you enjoy time between times storytelling and perhaps share it with a friend in the meantime take care of yourself my friends no star.